Jeanette Anderson is a seasoned professional with a wealth of experience in business and personal development. She has nearly four decades of experience launching, leading and mentoring over 250 businesses. Jeanette brings a unique blend of corporate management expertise and academic knowledge, having taught marketing and business at universities and colleges. In this episode, you will learn how to build a business around your life, what to do to unlock your full potential, and what it means to be a maturepreneur. I've always loved to travel. I've traveled extensively throughout my life, but I also am pathologically allergic to winter. I I hate being cold. And being from Canada, uh, about six months of the year where I live, it's not it's not all that nice. And so I wind and complain for many, many, many years. And I tried a couple versions of mobile lifestyle. I'd leave my house with ten- tenants in it, or I'd leave it with roommates in it, and I'd go traveling, you know, for six months or something but it never really worked very well. And so finally, one time I came home, my tenants had done about $25,000 worth of damage while I was gone. And I finally, that was it. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I sold everything I owned and downsized from a three bedroom, three bathroom home where I had what I call power nested, which means I had a lot of stuff. And I downsized to a five by 10 storage unit um, where everything I own fits in there. And in fact, actually this weekend, I'm downsizing again to a five by five um, and decided to go fully mobile. So aside from a stint during COVID, I've been living a mobile lifestyle in various forms for about seven years now. Okay. Um, So you're you're well into the remote workforce type thing. Yes. Yep. And so if I can get internet, I can work and I still, you know, have my business full time. So I um, would rather work by a jungle or a pool than I would buy a snowdrift. So that's a big part of why I I changed my lifestyle dramatically. Okay. So seven years ago, what did your kind of working life look like? What were you doing and what was your life like so that you were able to kind of pick up everything and move at the drop of a hat type thing? What were you doing? Well, it was kind of, it was an interesting process and journey, actually. Um, it, it took a little bit to let go. Uh, I had, you know, I came home one time and I looked around my house and it was like, but I don't want to leave. I, I love my plants. And I literally, I used to have these big, beautiful trees in my house and lots and lots of plants. And I literally burst into tears about, I don't want to leave my plants. And I, and then I caught paused and I said, seriously, you can't have your ideal life because of a ficus? That doesn't seem like a very good reason. So I, so I, I kind of thought, okay, it really is time to let go. So had a couple of big garage sales, like twelve hundred dollars on one, fourteen on the other, and there was only five items in each that was over ten dollars. So that just lets you know how much crap I had. And after that process, it was easier process. It was easier to let go, to declutter, and to be able to really just focus on what was important it's been it was actually super amazingly beneficial to declutter and let everything go because i didn't realize i hadn't realized that i was being owned by my stuff instead of me owning my stuff um until i did that and went through that process and now i have like i don't know what all i had but i don't miss any of it and the stuff i still have in storage i don't need uh so Prior to going fully mobile, I still had my own business. I have had for off and on for 40 years. Uh, Every once in a while, I forget. I go back into corporate, and then I'm usually there for about two years, and I go, don't. I remember why I hate this. I'm not good at politics. I don't like bureaucracy, and I really can't tolerate bullshit. So I leave and go back out and start my business again. But I was permanently cured of that in 2001 after the last stint that I did in a corporation um, and being burnt out and burned. Um, So I left and have been running my own business again. So I've had four iterations of my business. So I've been self-employed most of my life and owned a business most of my life, except for those, you know, aberrant, you know, moments where I forget and go back into corporate. Uh, So prior to going fully mobile, I just did what a lot of people do, worked hard, worked too hard, and didn't take enough vacations and whined a lot about not having more balance in my life and not having more fun. So I finally decided it was time to do something about that and to build my business around my life instead of the other way around. Hmm. And what does that look like to build a business around your life? 
Well, it means putting the lifestyle first. So what you want to do. So um, being where you want to be with who you want to be doing the kind of work you want to do. So I stopped taking clients that I didn't want. Um, I stopped being geographically dependent so that I could actually work anywhere. Um, I changed a bit of the nature of my work so that it was more mobile friendly. I was mobile in two, you know, 2000, long before COVID and everyone went online. Um, in fact, I helped lots and lots of people make the transition during that period. Um, so it was really not much of a shift for me in terms of what I was doing. It was more a mind shift around what the difference is in living a mobile lifestyle versus not doing that. Cause there are some distinct differences about that um, beyond just that you travel uh, a lot um, that I had to kind of learn and wrap my head around. But prior to that, I was mostly doing what I'm doing now, which is training and coaching and masterminds and helping people grow their business. Nice. And on the kind of helping people grow their business side of things, you have launched, led and mentored over 250 businesses what does that look like you know that is a a huge number of people to have been in contact with or you know have worked with talk me through what that looks like in the beginning the middle and even you know up till now well so a lot of it i've done a lot of speaking and a lot of training i worked for sate which is a college here now a university uh teaching and training so i've spoken to thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs in universities and colleges and courses and my own programs um because you know i've I've been around a while i've been at this for 40 years so it over time you end up racking up the numbers but the 250 is i've been part of um high-end coaching programs for other uh industry experts and help them with their clients with launching and leading programs and or masterminds or helping them grow their business as well as my own clients over the years and so there's been a lot of entrepreneurs that I've been involved with and I worked with an incubator program many many years ago so overall it's actually probably a higher number but last time I counted it was in that range um of just the number of people that I've worked with either in a program setting where there's group coaching and and training and so forth going on like an incubator year-long program that kind of thing or in my own coaching and training programs that I do myself so it's fascinating it's fun it's frustrating it's a lot of things because you can lead horses to water but you can't make them drink and there's a lot of psychology involved and mindset involved in getting entrepreneurs to work and to to be successful Um, a lot of my specialization is getting the four inches between your ears working so the business can work because really we are the biggest impediments to our business Mm. and like what are some of those lessons that you're having to teach or you know get these entrepreneurs to think about like what are these things that are stopping us from growing our business or having a successful business that's a great question and like how long do you have but i'll tell you the core ones that i run into a lot and and i i'll tell you about bodacity in a minute it's it's a uh revelation i had about 11 years ago so i i predominantly work with women now and a few good men but mostly women and that was because of this calling that i got but to answer that question uh number one is that well, again, depends on if I'm working with men or women and what stage they're at in terms of their entrepreneurial journey. But by and large, the number one uh, blocker impediment is whatever their version of the not enough story is. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not credentialed enough. I'm not connected enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not. There's some version of not enough running because that's part of the human condition. And that not enough story is simply a belief system. Uh, one that doesn't support and one that's not true, but it is true for them. So it's getting them to see a different alternative um, reality and to shift to a more empowering story. Uh, So that's because we're making it all up anyway, so we might as well make up better stories uh, than the ones that we're telling that are limiting us and keeping us from being effective. So the not enough story is one um, that typically leads to the why I can't, some version of the why I can't shouldn't or you know won't be successful so there is some limiting belief that often comes from childhood always comes from childhood about what 
what it, whether it's a worthiness issue or a capability and competence issue or a un, whatever the underlying belief is, there's some version of um, I can't or this won't work for me. Um, that sometimes gets called imposter syndrome. It, it comes out in a lot of different ways depending on the person. Um, and is a bit different than the not enough story because the not enough story is sometimes about out there. There's not enough time. There's not enough money. There's not enough whatever. Sometimes it's about us, um, usually both. So those two stories. And then really claiming and understanding our value or the value we provide so that it can be articulated in terms of what you do for the world. Um, people confuse and conflate their value as a human being with the value they provide. And so in their marketing, they're not promoting the value they provide because they don't want to, you know, appear arrogant or who do you think you are too big on themselves, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that, that a lot of it is really helping them understand. I call it the three whys and a what, why do you do what you do? So we, we are meaning making machines. We need to know our purpose. We need to know why we do what we do because meaning, drives or pulls us and people buy our why they don't buy what we do so that really helps people be able to differentiate themselves in a crowded market as well as really drives their their stand and how they're expressing themselves in in the world so why you do what you do why do people need you versus everyone else who does what you do that's where really being able to understand the value we provide comes in and why do they need what you have what's the benefit of what you do and then what do you sell and how do you market that and position it and so forth so those are some of the fundamental questions that they don't have clear that they struggle with which is partially an internal thing and partially an external practical tactical thing and then the last thing that they really struggle with and especially women is um, they suck at self-promotion and sales. There's probably a more diplomatic way to say that, but frankly, that's the bottom line. They've been told their whole lives, you know, don't be too arrogant, don't be too big on yourself, who do you think you are, all of those variations on the theme. Um, and so self-promotion, which is actually just being in service, showing up and being in service, is really difficult. It's it's like pulling teeth to get people, especially most women, to be effective at sales and marketing. And so there's all sorts of stuff and stories that go with that about I don't want to be pushy, I don't want to be this or that, which is really just the ego of low self-esteem because it's all about I, I, I instead of being about the other person and being in service. So I would say those are the big main blocks that get in the way. Um, the not enough story, the, the, you know, not being clear on their why and their purpose so that it pulls them forward and the, the challenges and, and stories about, um, about self-promotion sales and, and what that means to you, because you can't be a successful entrepreneur if you don't get over that. Mm, no, most definitely. And um, what I'm picking up on here is it's kind of based around mindset and personal development like without that you're not really going to be able to have a successful business because if your mindset's in the wrong place you're not going to be able to apply yourself fully to work and if you're not developing yourself as a person how are you really going to grow your business exactly exactly well and especially as a small business owner or an entrepreneur or a solopreneur because our stuff is the business's stuff as a business gets bigger and there's more leaders they can kind of mitigate that risk and that limitation but and you can put systems and processes in place that get around that but when we're the leader if we won't pick up the phone to get the sale then the business doesn't work if we won't own our value we won't put ourselves out in the world and so the business won't work so there's there's more direct correlation the smaller the business the more we have to work on our personal development so that we clear the limitations that are getting in the way of the business hmm. and how can we develop the right mindset to be a, you know, a successful entrepreneur or at least an entrepreneur that's got a business that's going somewhere Oh, well, there's about a million answers to that. But I would say I was just literally having this conversation with someone about there's a huge uprising of maturepreneurs coming in the marketplace um, as boomers age and now Gen Xers as well. Um, there's a huge influx of what I call the wisdom workforce into the marketplace. And 
um, because they either can't retire or don't want to retire. It's one of the first sets of generations that don't want to retire and probably have 10 to 20 to 30 years of work still in them. I work with women who are in their 80s who are still kicking ass and taking names. Um, and so I think part of the conversation that I had about that is as they come out of corporate into entrepreneurship, one of the biggest shifts, one of the biggest mindset shifts that an entrepreneur needs is to be flexible about change and comfortable with change and risk. Because if you're not, you cannot be a good entrepreneur. Now, people have the illusion that workplaces, you don't have as much to worry about with change and you don't have as much risk and so forth. The reality, as we all know, and especially lately, is that that's not true. There's a rampant change in workplaces and there is tons of risk in terms of stability is a myth of old. Um, but I think you really have to cultivate a mindset that sees risk as as opportunities not all not to be stupid about things to still do due diligence but to really say how do i seize these opportunities how do i um you know maximize what i'm doing what are some of the solutions that i can create so number one is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable entrepreneurs have to by nature be outside their comfort zone most of the time if you're not willing to do that, it's almost impossible to be a successful entrepreneur. So that's number one. Number two, I would say, is they really do need a mindset, uh, I believe, and especially in this current economy and as the world shifts, of being in service. How do I make the difference that I'm here to make? How do I be the difference that I, only I can be? I think that most more companies are purpose-led. Uh, that we really do need to come from a mindset of, of service, meaning like being curious, how can I help the world? How can I make things better? How can, how can what I do, how can what I do, how does what I do help other people? Um, whether you're, you know, manufacturing ball bearings or you're a coach who helps people with parenting, it doesn't matter in every case how does what i do how can what i do make the world better um i think that that is a part of our zeitgeist now and i think it's really valuable and helps people again have more meaning in what they're doing and i think that that's an important component of what people are looking for these days um so that's another kind of mindset piece that that is important is to know and understand your why I call it your why instead of your purpose, because I believe our why is the thread that weaves throughout our life, the tapestry of our life. It's my definition of our why is what you're healing from your youth or your childhood and what you long for for the future for yourself and others, what you're healing from the past and what you long for for the future. Um, the intersection of those two things is our purpose, I believe. And, and how we live into that, our stand, changes over time, over the course of our life. But it's um, the why stays the same. So I think that that's important for any entrepreneur, any business owner of any size to know. Because it's um, in the world we live in, um, and I think this has always been true, but it's so acutely true now. We need to stay grounded in who we are and what we want to contribute and who we want to be in the world um, because there are lots of challenges to our values, to our beliefs, to our way of being, to the world as we know it, to the status quo. Some are helpful, some are not. And how do we stay grounded in all that? We need to know what we're stand for and what we're stand against um, so that we can be that that change. I hope that's not too generic or general. Um, the other mindset thing that I think is critical for entrepreneurs is perseverance, a willingness to just keep on keeping on. It takes longer than people always think it's going to take. It's typically harder than people think it's going to be. And you got to have an element of bloody mindedness about I'm going to make this work because if you're not committed, see my previous rant about why purpose matters so much. If you're not committed, you'll bail before you get across the finish line. So flexibility, you know, a willingness to change and risk, 
um, being purpose-led helps, I think, and, and being really determined to stay in the game. Those are the three that I would say, when those are cultivated, helps most entrepreneurs be more effective and stay stay in the game long enough to make the difference. Mm. Uh, and what has that looked like for you over your own kind of self-development or entrepreneurial journey, having those three kind of pillars intact or, you know, learning about those three pillars along the way? Well, you asked tough question, Sam. <laughs> uh, that's great, though. I love it. Um, so, well, being being willing to risk. So my my life, my journey. Um, I think I was born entrepreneurial. I'm pretty sure I came into the world with a briefcase in hand, which my mother didn't appreciate. Uh, and most of that was a learned thing to survive a very tough childhood. Um, we didn't have money. We didn't have you know anything, and and so I had to learn how to be resourceful young because I kind of became the parent very young. Um, I literally had my first my first franchise was my lemonade stand business. I had a lemonade stand, and I could see there's three other corners that there was lots of traffic, but weren't getting service. So I don't know if you're not old enough. I don't think to remember those TV tray sets that had four TV trays in. So I went and got the other three, and I got my mom to make up three more jugs of lemonade and I made up four, three other signs and I recruited three kids from the neighborhood and I put them on the other corners and they got 50% of the take and I got 50% for my supplying the product and everything and that was my very first franchise so I did that when I was I think I was almost six um, uh, I had my first business when I was 11 I had a daycare my first real business uh, daycare for a whole summer and we lived in a housing project and my first employee was a nine-year-old that I used to babysit and he helped me with the kids. Uh, $3 a day we charged the parents to keep their kids and I fed them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day for the whole summer. <laughs> I remember that. Very nutritious. All those poor kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I paid him a dollar an hour. I remember all of this to that to that to this day. Um, I think I was answering a question, but I can't remember. Oh yeah, how does this, this how does this work in my life? Um, so I think that the willingness to risk and the uh, flexibility around change was part of what I was born into. I mean, we moved 27 times in the first 29 years of my life. Um, <clears throat> my mom was married five times, so let's just say change was kind of a constant in my life and lots of turmoil and upheaval. So I became the kind of the, the rock and the, the person that created stability in our lives um, very early on. But I got very used to dealing with not having you know, stability or what people might call that. I learned that my stability is here. It's in me, it's in my connection to, you know, the universe, it's in my connection to me, it's in my core competencies, it's not dependent on anything outside of me. Um, so so that's one. The second one is the purpose-led. I think I've always been inclined in that way. I took my facilitator training about almost 40 years ago and have been doing personal development workshops since then. A lot of that was to overcome and deal with a very, very difficult childhood. Um, so I did personal development uh, work for a long time to deal with a lot of issues and so on. And it also helps me in my business tremendously. Um, and then the third one, the perseverance, I don't know, maybe because I'm an Aries, I'm just very, per very, very stubborn and persistent, maybe just because I came out and had to be that way as I grew up. But I've been doing this now for 40 years. I still am stupidly in love with what I do. Um, and I and it's gone through a lot of ups and downs, including like recent bouts of that's it. I quit. This is too hard. I can't do this, even though I have tons of evidence to the contrary. Um, you know, I was talking to a colleague and he said, you know, that never goes away, that cycle of going through the dips and questioning whether you're capable of doing it. Um, it's just a, it's a, you know, layers of the onion or a spiral or whatever. There's always those periods where we have some doubts or we struggle with getting to that next level. Um, so I, even though I've been doing it 40 years and I have lots of evidence of, you know, success and confidence and so forth doesn't mean I don't still go through my periods of harumph, 
you know, to hell with this. I'm out of, I'm out of here. So I think I, I developed and was born with those three traits. Uh, but it definitely the ones that I've seen that if my clients don't have, they tend not to be able to break through to success on the other side. Mm. And that's kind of influenced the work you're doing now with the whole maturepreneur, the wisdom workforce stuff. So talk to me a bit about that and your business, Bodacity, is it what it's called? Yeah. Right, yeah. Bodacity, Bodacity.ca. So my brand, my business's name is Positive Results, but the, the brand is Bodacity. And this is, that's that calling I, I mentioned earlier. So... About 10 years ago, I was doing a meditation and I got this, I call it a download. And I literally wrote out 11 pages in my journal. And I, and I read it afterwards and I literally closed the book and said, you got the wrong person, God. I, I don't know why you're telling me all this. It was about this thing called Bodacity. And it was about a mindset, a community and a global movement. And it was about women. The, the mission statement is shifting the world from fear to love, one happy and empowered woman at a time. And it sounded great. It was all very inspiring. But I literally closed the book and said, I'm not the right person for this. Why are you telling me this? This is not mine to do. And then I'd get the call and I'd like go, but I don't even really like women. Go away. And I'd hang up. And then I'd get the call again. And it'd be like, oh, there's so many women's groups back when there was like four. And now there's four million. And I get the call again. This went on for about seven years because I am a little resistant and stubborn. And and. And me dabbling my toe in and dipping in and kind of doing it, but not really, not going all in. Finally, I very graciously surrendered. I forgot to ask if I'm allowed to swear on your show. You can, of course. (laughs) You can, of course, Um, swear. This is a show for adults. (laughs) Okay, well, I finally very graciously surrendered and said, fuck off, leave me alone, I'll do it, and stepped into it. And as soon as I did, then, Sam, I understood why women, why now, and why me. Because, of course, we don't really get, we don't get it until we go all in. As long as there's a part of us that we're holding back from anything, from a relationship, from committing to our business, from committing to a career path, from being fully self-expressed, as long as we're holding back, we never really get it. And so once I went all in, I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. And I think that a big part of of Bodacity is part of this, you know, global call to women to step up and step into our power, not to um, be men, not to overtake men, not to make men wrong, but to learn how to truly partner with men by learning how to truly partner with one another, because women kind of suck at that in many ways. Like, in, in many ways, we're very supportive and good. And when it comes down to push comes to shove, women supporting women in lifting them up in business and so forth, we have been trained not to be very supportive of one another. And so I think we need to learn how to um, do business differently, we being the world. And as we do business differently, we'll do life differently. As we do a more collaborative, co-creative, sustainable model of business that is equitable for everybody, then that shifts how we do life on our planet. And I think that women need to be a strong voice for that, advocating for that, because it's it's not that that doesn't exist in the patriarchy, it's that it's not forefront in the model. And it needs to be forefront in the model for us to shift some of how we're doing what we're doing. So it's definitely not a, you know, because the patriarchy doesn't work for anyone, including old white men. And it needs, we need a new model. We need a new way of doing things. And so I think women need to step up to support the creation of that, whatever that may look like. And, and so Bodacity was all about that. And there was a whole lot of resistance to, I don't know how to do that. I don't even know what that means. I, you know, like, I don't even think I'm a feminist. Like, why are you talking to me? Because this is not mine to do. But it really is. It really was. And so a lot of my work has been shifting to working with women to step up and out in their business, um, to get better at being um, a stand. I call it being a stand for the and. Not either or, neither, not either I can be supportive or I can make money, but both and. Not, you know, I can have a meaningful life or I can make a magnificent income. No, no, we can do both, both and. And so um, it's about that and, and 
how do we reinvent how we're doing what we're doing so that we can create more equity for women and for everyone else, right? Because as women benefit and prosper and do better, then so do the kids, so do the men, so does the planet. Um, when anybody doesn't do well, anybody, then of any, you know, situation, um, then no one, you know, like when anybody's struggling, then everybody's struggling mm. on some level. So I um, have been focused on women and bodacity. And then, of course, as we change, our demographic changes. So the older I get, the more I uh, see and understand. You know, it's like when you buy a yellow Volkswagen, all you see is yellow Volkswagens. It's kind of like that. So when I became aware of ageism through a really interesting direct experience, I kind of started seeing it everywhere. So um, I was on something called the Marketers Cruise, which is a cruise, a work cruise with about 400 marketers from around the world. You should come. It's fun. <laughs> um, and it's um, uh, and it's a lot of work and uh, a lot of networking and so forth. I was up on one of the, on the Lido deck at Pizza and Profits, it's called, which is a late night networking that goes till two, three, four o'clock in the morning. I was standing with a group of four men and one of the guys said, what do you do? And I was mid-sentence answering him and he turned and started talking to someone else. And I thought, well, that was rude, what a dick. And so then I turned and walked to another group and I was talking to them, same thing. Someone asked me in this group of five, what do you do? I'm answering and the same thing happened. He started talking to someone else. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. It's it's not, it's a now a pattern or a trend. Am I not showing up? Am I, is my energy low? Like what's going on here? Nope, wasn't me. I tend to be pretty visible and pretty, I show up with some energy. Uh, wasn't me. And so I started observing and literally, literally the white or gray haired women on that cruise were completely and utterly ignored, like would be talking and no one would hear them would be like, it was, it was almost comical if it wasn't so sad. So I started really kind of looking at that because I had never been aware of ageism before that. Um, not, you know, I knew it might be a thing, but it hadn't impacted me. So of course we don't know about prejudices until, uh, other than notionally until they impact us. And so, uh, that became my, my stand for maturepreneurs is there is a lot of, um, isms to overcome and, uh, they tend to be fairly invisible, but it is an incredible source of wisdom, experience, expertise, and innovation that is unprecedented in history. We've never had people working until their 80s and 90s, and it's now going to be a thing. So we got to figure out how to make this work for everyone. So that's why the focus on supporting maturepreneurs. It's a huge rising industry. There's millions of people literally around the world coming into the entrepreneurial space as a result of that, that they can't retire or they don't want to. They either can't afford to or they just hashtag aren't done by a long shot. And so it's, um, it's a growing burgeoning market that no one's serving. So hence the, okay. There's some wonderful opportunity, people who need me, and I've got some stuff that can help. So that's why that market. Yeah, and the, there's a statistic out there where it's like, I think it's, I don't know what percentage of it, but a high percentage of first-time founders are over 40. And so, you know, yeah. as the workforce gets older, that percentage is going to skew even higher to, you know, a lot of first-time founders are over 50. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people when they're hitting 60 or, you know, hitting 50, they're not thinking about starting a business. If anything, they're thinking about, winding down so why are you kind of pushing people to enter that entrepreneurial space when risky you know the world will say oh no it's time you kind of hit the back bench well see and that is part of what the old thinking is there's a lot of people who say well why aren't you just off golfing or knitting because I don't want to golf or knit for 40 years and that's what most of them are looking at if they're 50 or 60 um, it's like I can't imagine a future of 20 or 30 more years of backbenching. Um, that wasn't an option 20 year, 30 years ago. It wasn't. It wasn't part of how we how we worked and how we lived. Um, and economically, people cannot afford to retire. I heard a statistic, but I couldn't find the source, so I don't know if this is legitimate. Um, that 
75% of Canadians retire with $25,000 or less. Think about that. That's less than a year's living expenses, far less in many parts of Canada. Um, and that's all they have. Like, literally, that's their entire retirement. If 75, that is true, and I suspect it's on the high side, but if 75% are retiring with less than 25,000, that means they have to keep working. And there's only so many Walmart baggers, and there's only so much, um, what do you want to call it, coming down in the world that people who are intelligent, experienced, and have a tremendous expertise are willing to do. Like, you, you know, CEOs um, who've been ousted from their company because they want a younger gun have tremendous experience and they're not going to become the Walmart baggers or, or your barista at Starbucks, right? Like it's, it's just not sensible. So they have to create something else. Um, but there's a lot of people speaking of founders. There's a woman in Calgary who was uh, won an award for top eight over 80 for founding a tech company at 86. So the world's changing in terms of who we are as we age, but the world hasn't caught up with that. <laughs> who we're being when we're in our 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s are people with a tremendous amount of experience. We have come through a lot of technical advances. Most seniors are not as technologically ignorant as people would think. Um, and those that are get schooled up pretty quickly if they want to actually stay relevant. Um, and it's it's going to become the norm for people to work well into their 60s and 70s and beyond rather than something unusual yeah so the world just needs to get that we're not going to go away and knit and golf because ain't nobody got time for that yeah i mean <laughs> if we're not going away to knit and golf what could we be doing or what should we be doing exactly exactly i think that's a great question and i would love ask the question again what should we be doing if we're not knitting if we're not golfing we're hitting 60 what should we do exactly and i want everybody in this audience to answer that question what could be possible if you didn't put your your wisdom your knowledge your passion your ideas your innovations on the shelf what could be possible in our world philanthropically, social conscious wise, um, you know, social responsibility in business through your entrepreneurship, what could we create? What could we change? And what could we turn around? I think that there is so much innovation that is going to come out of that market. People always think and have skewed towards young people create innovation. Where do you get a bunch of people with some resources, some wisdom, some experience, and time on their hands? They're going to start shifting some things around the status quo in some big ways. The only challenge, well, not the only challenge, one of the big challenges is they're still invisible. And it's hard to get things like insurance, venture capital funding, um, bank loans, because you should be off knitting. Right. And and no, you're 70, you're going to retire in a year. So, no, I don't want to fund you when in reality, that person is probably going to stay at their their business or their job as long, if not longer than a millennial will. Right. So it's it's about shifting who we think we are as a society. You know, societies that are older have known for a long time that our elders are a hugely important resource. It's only North America where we've forgotten that, predominantly North America where we've forgotten that. And it's a, it's a resource that we're squandering and shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can give me kind of a success story or a story of one of your clients who came to you and was like, hey, you know, I don't want to be knitting or golfing. I want to be doing, I don't know. So I wonder if you could give me a success story there. Sure. Oh, I, yeah, lots of them, actually. Um, okay, I'll tell you about Elaine. She's a coach who's in the U.S., and she came to me originally to grow her coaching business, and so we did some of that. But really, Elaine was, um, she was suffering from the life uh, condition that I call, I have a great life, how come I'm not happy? So she was, you know, everything looked fine, but she wasn't really happy. And so we talked about, well, what would you do if you could do, be, do, or have anything? And really what she wanted was a mobile lifestyle. 
Um, and this is not just me saying this because I lived that, but, but she wanted to mobile. So by the time we finished working together, she had sold her house, everything she owned. She bought uh, one of those camper vans. She traveled around North America doing her coaching business. Um, she had a relationship with a guy who lived aboard a boat and they would meet up at various marinas and she would, you know, they would meet up at different um, ports. So she had a guy in every port. It was the same guy. Um, and she loved, loved, loved that lifestyle style. Now they're living full-time aboard the boat. She's still working. She's still serving clients everywhere and seeing the world as she does it. So that's an example of how do I build my business around my life instead of the other way around. But she couldn't do that while she was busy thinking that she had to be a certain way. She had to run a business a certain way. If we ask the question, how could I do this differently so that I can be, do, and have what I want, then all sorts of things become possible. Yeah. And I wonder if you have another story. Seeing as you said you have so many, it, might, it would be a shame not to ask for two. That's another one I can tell you. Okay, I'll tell you about Cecilia. So Cecilia is a uh, professor of, uh, professor at the university, a university in, um, in the America, and she is transitioning out of that. She cannot retire on her professor's retirement salary or income. And so she wants to create a business. So we're working together to create the business. However, what we're working on first and foremost um, is her remembering who she really is because she's been through a lot of academic politics. She's been through a lot of issues and challenges with um, backstabbing and, you know, just uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the academic world that is really uh, life draining. And so she has, since we've worked together, created a new position within the university, is doing work that she loves with a new set of colleagues, uh, and is working on what business she's going to move towards when she retires in a year. So she's really, her biggest win is remembering who she really is now that she's getting her mojo back. And after literally 20 years of kind of having pieces of her soul eroded, now coming back to who she is and getting excited about life. So when we first started talking, it was, uh, how do I grip my teeth and get through one more day? I have to survive this for another 18 months. Now it's, I'm loving this, I'm loving that, and I'm excited about the possibilities. So um, first of all, big mindset shift inside, remembering who she really is, and then getting excited about creating solutions now and in the future because it's not just about the business down the road not about the someday when but how do i be happier right now mm. so that's another one that that was came to me for one reason and really what we we're working on is what does success look like right now oh thank you so much for sharing those two stories out of a, a million that you could have mentioned but yeah well and i have more like you're thinking of all these clients that i'm not talking about it's like oh i'm sorry heather i'm sorry anyways yes so there's lots of lots of them and i think really the the key is the success can be whatever it is that people are looking for but we first have to define what does success mean to us. Yeah. And whether you're in a corporate career, whether you're thinking of starting a business, whether you're a parent, uh, you know, and community leader, what does success really mean? And how does that look when you're lived into it, when it's not coming from shoulds and have tos and voices in the past, when it's coming from who you really want to be in the world? Um, that's a good starting point for any any conversation i think lovely i was actually going to ask you know what is one piece of actionable advice you could give us but you've just given it right there is you know yeah. come to that place of self kind of discovery and then from there you can kind of go forward and find out what you're really meant to do so i, I well and and really just the, what i was going to say really quickly is ask it freshly and newly because most of us have asked that of ourselves or some variation on it numerous times in our lives but ask it with fresh ears and fresh eyes right now what does it mean to you now? Because I guarantee it's not what it was five years ago or 10 years ago. It's not what your parents thought it should be. What do you want? Who do you want to be so that you can be the difference that only you can be in the world? I love that. And one thing I want to ask you is about learning or, you know, self-development. You seem like you've done a lot of that over the years. And I'm wondering, where do you go to find the kind of stuff that triggers the questions or triggers the changes is it books is it podcasts is it somewhere else 
Yes, all of the above. <laughs> um, so I, I believe that all coaches should have a coach because if you don't eat your own dog food, then there's something wrong there. So I have two coaches uh, that I rely on for wisdom and perspective because we can't see what we can't see. I've been at it 40 years, but I still have blinders about my own stuff because it's right on the end of my nose. So get support, get a, get a, you know, a perspective, whether that's a mentor or a coach. And I, I think everyone needs a coach of some kind to help us be more excellent. So that's one thing. Two, I've taken and still take, continue to take a lot of personal development courses. I read business books. I was kind of laughing at myself this morning. I probably consume 20 to 30 business books a year, plus fiction books, um, still, and I've been doing it for 40 years. I, I love learning and there's always something new. There's always something that is an expansion of, of you know, what I know and who I can be. So um, books, be part of the book club that can help with that, like a business book club or if not business, it can be personal, but, um, and take courses. I've taken a lot of courses and facilitated courses um, as well. Whatever your passion and area of interest is, there is likely a program, a course, a meetup group, a network that will help you further that and make sure that at least one of those endeavors, it's not a should or have to. It's a get to purely for pleasure because I believe our purpose lies on the path of our pleasure and we sometimes forget that and get too busy and with the shoulds and the have tos. So pursue some learning in the path of your pleasure. And what would be one book that you recommend for the listener to read? Well, I'm actually loving right now. I just finished hundred million dollar offers and I'm finishing or I'm reading hundred million dollar leads by Alex. Hormozy. Yes. I've read, Hormozy, I've yes. read uh, offers and I've got leads downstairs that I need to start reading. There you go. Um, uh, one of my favorite books, especially uh, for women is, um, Oh no, I'm going to forget the title of it. I did a book club study with my people on it. It, Untamed um, is a fabulous book. Uh, that's more kind of contextual expansion and so forth. Um, I pretty much consistently re um, refer the e-myth to still by Michael Gerber to all of my clients, especially if they're new to entrepreneurialism. If you are thinking of being an entrepreneur or are fairly new in the world, go get the e-myth, the entrepreneur myth by Michael Gerber. It's an old book, but it's been revised many times. It's one of the best foundational books on what it requires to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I'm also reading a science fiction book right now. I'm reading Sage Levine's um, something about bold women or something like that. I'm, I'm reading like literally four books right now. And I listen to audiobooks all the time when I travel and I, I drive long trips like from here to Florida and, you know, six, eight day drives, thousands of miles. So I listen to lots of audiobooks. Um, and, and on a memoir basis, Viola Davis's, I think it's I forget the title of it. It might be Becoming, but or This Is Me, something like that, by Viola Davis. Really impactful and powerful memoir. I'm not a big fan of memoirs, but hers is really good. Yeah, I think memoirs give you a kind of, you know, a deep dive into someone's life. And as much as it's kind of like a play-by-play -play of what's been happening, there's a lesson in yes. there because, you know, this person is yes. successful. And you kind of go, oh, that yes. moment might have been the moment where they figured this thing out or that might have been the moment where they could have given up but they didn't and it gives you that kind yeah. of motivation to keep going like I, I was just listening to a not really a podcast but more of a, like a deep dive on Winston Churchill and I didn't know that before he became prime minister he'd lived this whole crazy life of being a soldier and all this kind of stuff you know it was it's very interesting to read biographies yeah. or listen to autobiographies of people and all that kind of I stuff I love Barack Obama's book. It's a, it's a, it's big. It's a big slog, but it's actually also fascinating because it really does talk about um, grassroots movements and how they work. And he's such an intelligent man. He's like, I think, the quintessential statesman. So it was very interesting. And I love Michelle Obama's podcast. Um, the light, I think it's called. Um, so yes, I listen to podcasts. I read books. Um, and, do courses fairly regularly because I think that those are really good backdrops for us to see ourselves against. It's hard to see ourselves when we're in a bubble. 
Um, so we got to give ourselves a chance to see, you know, like when you were a little kid and your mom might have measured you against the door frame. Um, it's like that. We need something to kind of measure our growth against. So having a coach, having an external, you know, reflection helps a lot. Mm. And something else I want to ask you, which is something I ask every guest, but the answer is always very different. There's a lot of different parts of entrepreneurship. There's lots of different parts to coaching, sales, marketing, all this kind of stuff. But there's an element of joy in what you do. And so what I'm wondering is, what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? Oh, what a beautiful question. Um, I absolutely love... It's going to sound a little hokey, and I'm sure most coaches say this, but I, I really, truly do love those aha moments when clients get, remember who they are at their core, when they light up. So I just did a half-day workshop recently, and I had, I think it's not a party till someone's crying. Uh, I had a couple of people that were in tears because they were like, oh, I finally get why that thing that happened to me actually happened for me and how it made me the source of a solution in the world. I love that transformation. I love that empowerment that comes from taking some kind of victimization or challenge or limitation, turning it into something that we can actually act on and, 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 can, and use as a source of goodness in our own lives and in other people's lives. I love when clients come to me and say, hey, I did that thing you said and I got two new clients. Woohoo! this is more money than I've made in a month ever, right? I love that, that helps too. But mostly I love when people remember who they are and that they are lovable exactly as they are. We spend a lot of time trying to dance as fast as we can and wear masks and be who we think we should. And it's just so nice when people shoulders drop and their face lights lightens up and they go, okay, cool. I get to go have fun with life. And I deserve that and I can create that and have it be of benefit at the same time. That lights me up. That makes me happy and, and gives me a lot of joy. Where can the people find you online? So I have a Facebook group called the Purpose and Profit Sisterhood. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jeanette Anderson, Jeanette Susan Anderson, I forget. On, on Facebook, Jeanette Susan Anderson. Uh, the Bodacity Project on YouTube. Tons of great video interviews there that you can go and great, get, get great free content. So uh, bodacity.ca is my website. Bodacity is a real word. It means bold and audacious. I didn't make it. It's a real word. Uh, so B-O-D-A-C-I-T-Y.ca. And yeah, just reach out and like, let's chat about where you're at, what you're doing and what lights you up and what's going to, what's going to, you know, what you're excited about creating this year. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.